another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvi, a.k.a. Danny, a.k.a. Mr. You Can Too. Today is such a special episode. I had the pleasure of recording with my girlfriend, Alejandra Hernandez, and we spoke about our experiences with racism and what's been going on in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. We talk about tangible ways to practice allyship, how massive systemic racism is in the United States, and we also talk about how to prioritize self-care during a revolution. I want everyone to think about how they've been showing up during this time, and I hope that our episode together sheds light on how you can grow and help be a real agent of change during this time enjoy the show today is such a special special podcast episode for me because i get to share the mic with my amazing wonderful life-changing girlfriend alejandra hernandez welcome to the show babe you forgot to say beautiful but thank you As you can see, she keeps me on my toes all the time (laughs) in such a great way. And I must say, one of the things out of the thousands of things that I love about Ale is she is so passionate about the lives of black and brown people all around the world. For me, you know, it's been about two and a half weeks since George Floyd's death. And everything that's ensued since then, that I've gotten the time to really reflect on what's happening and also be able to share the perspective with Ale. And her perspective has inspired me and really encouraged me to step up and how much knowledge that I have around what's going on and how I can be a major player in helping create change in my community and those that I'm closest to. And I really, really appreciate that, babe, from the bottom of my heart because I don't know if I would have attacked it with as much enthusiasm and discipline and dedication if I didn't see all those things from you. And one of the things I would love to hear is what is it about black and brown lives that resonate so deeply with you that has you show up so powerfully for us at this time Hmm, thank you for that and i think it starts with how i grew up i went to a high school in montgomery county which is a very well-off county in maryland despite that due to a lot of historical things i will not bore people with at this moment my school was still 80 percent black and brown people. So about 45% of it was 45, I would say 45% was African Americans and the other 45% were Hispanic. And it was definitely a mix. Silver Spring, especially downtown Silver Spring is known for having a large African population and incredibly diverse with a mixture of different African countries. And so I grew up in that. And then it wasn't until college in which I majored in sociology and I had a focus on stratification, which basically means I got to learn about a lot of systemic racism, gender inequality, about the ways we have 
taken away rights from the LGBTQ community, a lot of that kind of information. And when I got to college, I realized that the world was not how my high school looked like. It was really white and it was very privileged and I didn't really understand any of that until I got to the University of Maryland. And with that, I also learned a lot about my own privilege and the way that racism showed up in my household. I'm from, my parents are from Colombia and I grew up in a Colombian household. And so with that, I, with my education paired with my upbringing of always being around black and brown people, I became really passionate about having, being an advocate, about practicing allyship. And I think that is something that is incredibly buzzing right now is to be an ally, how to be an ally. I will say being an anti-racist is quite new rhetoric that I've personally heard in the mainstream, but being an ally right now is incredibly big. And that's something that I've been attempting to practice over and over again since I was in college and having conversations and even reflecting back on the ways that I did really messed up things and had all of these preconceived notions and my own racism and how that showed up. So I think all of that work is what now at this point that I'm seeing the country go through this, this kind of like conversation has been incredibly, it's such a mixed emotion. It's been amazing to see. And at the same time, it's been enraging. And so that's kind of where my dedication for black and brown communities really comes from is my my upbringing and my education Mm. i appreciate you being open and vulnerable and sharing all of that what really stuck out to me is how you went through this transition where growing up in montgomery county your norm was black and brown people and then you have this shift where you go on to educate yourself at the university of maryland And that paradigm really shifted where there was way more white people. And it's interesting and it kind of resonates with my transition as well, because when I was in high school, I grew up in Western Florida, uh, West Broward County. My school had probably 45 percent Hispanic, 45 percent white and then 10 percent black people. Mm. So and most of the black kids, we all played sports for the most part. And we were all pretty close knit with ourselves. And we also had the opportunity to hang out with a bunch of different demographics within the school as well. However, when I transitioned, I went to Georgetown. That was the first time that I was in like a predominantly white area. And there was a couple of black people, it's probably about maybe eight to ten percent black at georgetown if that probably like five to eight percent honestly i get to look into that yet for me that was my first time being around that many white people and not just white people but a lot of white people that had a ton of privilege Mm -hmm. who came from a lot of money different things like that and i remember being on the football team and this being the first time i saw white people who have never really interacted with black people before And I saw black people who had never interacted with white people before. And it was just this crazy dynamic where we were all going through our own types of racism, prejudice and stereotypes during that time. Right. And culture shock. Like it was really unbelievable. And I think leaving Georgetown and coming back to South Florida 
and having the opportunity to over these last really 12 15 years of my life see how much of a variety I have in my friend group in the amount of people that I hang out with that once this real eruption came and the tipping point of George Floyd's death came about I had so many different people reaching out to me right. asking me about my perspective and what what do I think's going on or how could they be better allies like you spoke about and it's so interesting because for me I felt very tired and exhausted with the conversations and I know for you you spoke a lot about feeling you know this rage and I would love to know where that rage came from what was it that was going on that you were hearing that you were seeing that was getting you so upset yeah I think it begins with because I majored in sociology I understand I have quite an understanding of how systemic this is and it and I I know it's always with good intention but what I when I get enraged is because I see this as this monster of a thing that I then begin to feel overwhelmed mm -hmm. without thinking about how can I take a step by step. And then I feel so even when people were reaching out to you, I then become protective about you and your energy. And I'm just like, you're you're not someone for someone to just call and be like, hey, tell me how you feel and how I should feel. And that's where it begins to happen for me, where I can see close friends. I can see my loved ones, then people reaching out to them as if like, please help me while your people are being killed on the streets. And I think that's where I get really frustrated because I see this as such a huge issue. And I know that that's definitely something that I, at this moment, I've definitely have a lot more systems in place to recheck myself and recenter than I did in college. When I was in college, I mean, I was just having arguments with people at parties uh, because they were saying something racist and it wasn't effective for me. It wasn't fun. And at the same time, my friends didn't really like that either. They right. weren't really big fans of me yelling at people and calling their white friends racist at a party. <laughs> so I had to really, I, I got through a phase where I was like, okay, that isn't being effective either. And so I think my rage is really coming from this feeling of helplessness, mm. understanding that this is way more than George Floyd. This is so many countless people that we don't know about. So many of the women whose names get washed away. So many of the trans lives that are being killed as we speak. So many of the education systems. I mean, I just told you now, I'm from Montgomery County where it's a well-off county, yet somehow I wound up at a school that's 80% black and brown, but seven miles down the road in Bethesda, the schools are, it, the numbers literally flip. It's 80% white people. And that's not by coincidence. This is through redlining. There's just an incredible amount of systematic racism that touches every aspect of life. We're really big into health and wellness. And we know that in communities and poor black communities, it's they're known as food deserts. There aren't places where there is a Publix. There, Whole Foods, forget about it. Trader Joe's ain't coming up in there. And so these are the things that I think I get so enraged by because I feel this sense of helplessness. And then I see certain comments about, you know, there was a ton of rhetoric about the violence and 
people quoting MLK. And it, it just really gets me to a point where I then feel the helplessness feels exacerbated because then I'm just like, especially when they come from people that I wasn't expecting to see that from. And then I just feel like, well, dang, if I don't, if they're not on that side either, if they're pointing out the rioting and the looting and not giving voice to the injustices that are happening and that have been happening for 400 years, that's where I think it, the rage really comes from is like this passion to want peace, love and equality while also understanding that things are really, really messed up. Mm. Mm. I really appreciate you sharing that. And there's so many things to unpack there, especially as you talk about really how long this has been going on, right? I mean, you talk about, you know, the 400 years since slavery and literally how it's been changing and really just just changing the way it looks all the way up until now and how we see it in the systems, whether it's education, housing, uh, the legislative system, voting, po- voting, policing. There's so many different ways it shows up. And I really resonate with the fact that it can feel hopeless at times. And I know when I'm not, you know me, I'm not a big person in just diving into social media or like watching all the videos, seeing all the posts or even with regular media. And that first week after George Floyd died, like I caught myself just seeing all these videos and all these examples. And like you said, all these people who we would look at as, as friends Mm -hmm. saying things that we couldn't believe that they were saying and it really had me feeling that same level of hope hopelessness and now since I've gotten to recharge recenter myself and get back to being who I am at my core it's like how can I go about doing this in the most effective way possible because you brought up the word effective as well and it's like for me I realized before having every single conversation wasn't effective because now it's taken away from my energy, my peace wasn't working. From what I heard you just say, it seems like thinking about how big this systemic racism is and how large of a scale it happens makes it seem very overwhelming and that's not effective or you know, having the explosive conversations aren't effective. Looking at where we are now, what have you found to be more effective solutions that you personally have been using to really better the lives of black people and brown people everywhere? I think I and to be honest, I'm still finding that footing. I'm still getting to the point now where I would say today, Monday, June 15th is the day where I'm finally beginning to get back into my peace and reclaim that back for myself. I think that moving forward, something that's going to support me is finding spaces where it is going to be community organizing. I mentioned earlier today we were on a call and I said that I was grateful for community organizers. As someone who has learned about different riots about different protests about different movements that have happened throughout not just america but even in other countries uprisings it always is centered around 
community organizers having and running it. And a lot of times these community organizers are women. And that's why for me, I'm so passionate about and caring and being grateful for the women that are doing this work because it's heavy. If I feel like this, I I just can't even imagine what it's like day in and day out to be planning and effectively organizing people for a cause. And for me, what I'm thinking about is the spaces that I can be in where I know that it is people who are for the revolution, who are for this uprising, who are for creating a space where we can dismantle this systemic racism. Because at this point, it's really about how do we dismantle the system? For me, it's how do we dismantle dismantle this system? Because having the conversations are incredibly important. And a lot of what people have been saying that I completely agree with is everyone's going to have their role. There's going to be people who are going to be on the front lines and protest. And that's important. There's going to be people, especially, for example, like white people who are going to be having conversations within their family. And that's really important. We need y'all white people to be having those conversations with your family members. There's going to be other people who are going to be the community organizers and so forth. And so for me, I think it's going to be being in that space where I'm amongst other community organizers. I think that I am very effective at organizing, period. I'm a Virgo, FYI. So I think that's where I will be able to kind of have my voice and feel like I'm really putting in my energy in a way that's effective to dismantling this system that we have. Mm. That's so powerful. And I love how you talk about using your voice because I've told you this many a times in our almost year and a half of being together, you know, how powerful your voice is and how many people you bring together. So being a community organizer would be such an amazing, powerful fit for you. And I'm so encouraged to see you step up in that way because we need it. And I think you bring up a great point where every person right now who is a part of this fight and who's on the correct side of it, you all have a pivotal role that you can play. And reflecting and looking back and thinking about what your strengths are, thinking about what communities you're involved in, and thinking about how you can show up most powerfully, I think are all things to look at at how you can become the strongest ally possible in this fight. And I think that's amazing. And it's interesting, this Thursday, I'm going to be on a panel with the Miami Jewish Federation. And there's going to be five of us on the call. The person who runs the NAACP in Miami is one of the panelists. Um, We have somebody that's in the outreach portion of the Miami Federation. She's going to be on the panel. And then my role on the panel is coming from the black Jewish perspective. And when I talk about being a a black Jew, it's in terms of ethnicity. On my dad's side, I'm a black American. On my mom's side, who who's white, I'm an I'm Ashkenazi Jewish. So to see how, in my opinion, how strong the Jewish community is and how they really how they really serve each other within that community is something that I think is missing in the black community. Where we don't have the opportunity or even or there are times where I think we have the opportunity. We don't I think we also don't take the initiative and make it the priority to support each other's businesses and everything that we have going on. 
And that's something that I'm definitely planning on talking about in that talk is, is saying that. And then also too being in a position where at the end of the day, just like you said, I know there's spaces where I can come in, I can be powerful and I'm hoping to create a ton of allies on that call because we're expecting 300 plus people already registered. So I can only imagine how many people are going to be on that call. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm really grateful for it. And you know, is I, I the would call open to the Jewish community in particular, or who are these people that are going to be on the call? So from my understanding, it's open to the Jewish community and I get to find out if, if anyone can come on it, because I'm sure that would be an opportunity for any and everyone to come join and mm-hmm. listen in on this panel. What I wanted to say also is that I wouldn't have stepped up into that space and taken that on if it wasn't for you and how powerfully you show up and how much you inspire me to make sure that I'm being the best that I can be in this fight. Because, you know, one of the most inspiring things I saw were sitting on my balcony and I can see where a lot of the organizers and the protesters in downtown Miami get together. I can see it from my balcony. And we're sitting outside one day and, you know, we we see everyone getting together. It's the first Saturday after George Floyd's death. And, you know, Ali, you asked me, like, do you want to go down there? And I was looking and me, I'm very big on like my intuition and like what I'm feeling. And for whatever reason, like in that second, in that moment, I didn't want to go. And I told her, like, if you want to go, like, go, like, absolutely go. Like, don't wait for me. And and she got her stuff ready. We're supposed to go somewhere, which is definitely not as important as this, uh, <laughs> you know, trip to the farmer's market wasn't going to be as important <laughs> as going to this protest. <laughs> right. So so she went out there and she went. And then I actually had a, a conversation, a call with my frat brothers, Omega Sci-Fi, Delta Theta Chapter, Hot Lattice. And, you know, I'm, I'm having a, a call with, with 20 of the bros. And at one point, I'm just like, Man, I get to go out there. And I, and I just felt this shift where I wanted to go. And I literally just walked down there. Like, and that was my first time going to a protest. Mm. And it was powerful to see everybody there peacefully protesting and expressing their frustration and their anger and chanting and being in that energy. And it really allowed me to see how important and honestly how long lasting I could see this movement being. And that and that was powerful. So I thank you for that, babe. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was. I think when you say intuition, for me, I definitely always have this logical process. And at the same time, I also knew that I was meant to go down there, and I also knew that farmers market was no longer happening. I knew I would honestly rather stay in the apartment than go to the farmers market driving literally the opposite direction because it was in the gables the opposite direction of where the protests were and i knew that for me that did not feel aligned to anything i wanted to create in this world which is why i went out there and i think a lot of that part of protesting one i mean i lived in maryland my whole life i worked in the city for a couple years before i moved to miami and dc has a protest like every other day i mean it's so common in dc and so i participated in quite a few protests while i was there and i will say that really 
none of them felt like this one. It, it was different. The energy was different. And the time you texted me and said you were coming out, I was in the middle of a circle and this man had brought out one of these drums. Like literally, he just had a portable drum with him. And it's a, he explained to me later on that it was a drum that he wound up getting when he was out in West Africa. And he was playing very beautiful music. There were people dancing. There were people chanting. And I understood in that moment that it was a different moment than any other time I had experienced at a protest. And even going, I mean, we wound up on the highway. I had never been on a highway ever in any of the protests I'd ever done. Those are things I've seen on TV. And I've never experienced that, too. And I just remember being there and, and thinking, this is surreal. This is this is different. And that was the Saturday after George Floyd's death. I mean, since then, we have seen company after company after company come out with something to say, whether they're being authentic about it. We don't know that, but with something to say. And we've had so many influencers also use their voice. I told you the other day I saw Selena Gomez using her platform of over 100 million followers to give a voice to other people in the black community to say how they're feeling and what they're doing and how they can support. And I, I see these things that I haven't seen before. I think for me it's it's been quite an adjustment to, to see all of that. And that has given me hope to see how much has happened and to see people still out on the streets yesterday Sunday now that it's two and a half weeks later that has given me hope absolutely I, I see now how much this is going to stick and stay around until we do see huge systematic change and like you said there's so many people stepping up who would have never stepped up before and and that's a big reason why I think that we are on this road to hopefully systemic change. And we're seeing that in certain parts of the country. We, you know, we see in Minneapolis how, you know, finally all four officers have been charged. We see that they are committed to defunding the police. We'll, we'll see what that looks like and if that actually happens mm -hmm. yet. We're just seeing all these other things happening in the country that is moving in the right direction. And at the same time, we're seeing a lot of the same bullshit. Yeah. Right. 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 And w a lot of the rhetoric that I've been preaching lately is that this is going to be a marathon, mm -hmm. not a sprint. And I know people were super hype and gung ho that first week, and I, I don't. I make up that it that it kind of slowed down a little bit this past week, and you know I'm sure there's different factors for that. However, I think it's so important that we continue to create the change as we go out and we we're not going to let this die down. Right. What, what I think is happening, or at least I can only speak in my own case, where I was so gun ho that first week, it was all out of just pure like emotion mm -hmm. and it wasn't channeled properly and I was exhausted and then I needed two, three days to like get myself back to my equilibrium and now I'm sharing and I'm creating change in a more deliberate, sustainable way right. that works for me. And I think that's going to be important for everyone to figure out is how are you going to be a sustainable ally in this fight, not just for the rest of June or the summer or 2020 yet for the next decades going forward. 
because I think that's going to be really important. Babe, I would love to know what are some tangible ways people can continue to be an ally going forward? Okay. In terms of, I think that this is going to look in a lot of different ways, as I mentioned. For example, one of them is going to be this continuance of having conversations. And when I say having conversations, I mean non-black people having conversations with people within their family, within their friends, and checking people. I've done this too, where people, especially other people in the Latinx community, feel comfortable saying things about black people in front of me because I'm not black, so why would I care? And I have also let it slide. And so I'm thinking about ways where that's not a space that I'm going to allow. I'm not going to be the context for that kind of energy, for people to say these things and then get away with it and feel like, okay, well, it's fine because Alejandro didn't say anything about it. It's fine. And I think that's really important is for all non-black people to be a stand from now be committed to be a stand from now on out that you get to be anti-racist and enroll other people into being anti-racist as well when those things come up and they will come up because it's so systemic in our society that racism exists whether in any community that we have that's a huge thing another thing is donating obviously we've talked about donating a lot of people have donated a lot of influencers have donated a lot of money if you're in the space where you can donate think about what organization you want to donate to that can maybe be a large corporation where you feel like your money's going to be used or it can be in a smaller grassroots organization where you maybe can see tangibly where it goes that is totally up to you to do your research Another thing, continue to educate yourself. Systemic racism, as I explained, had me feeling so helpless because it's so massive. It's not just the police killings. It is so much more than that. It's education. It's health. It's voting. We just saw what happened in Georgia. That is not by accident. The communities that were hardest hit, that had the longest wait, were surprised poor communities, black communities. So these are things that go well beyond police brutality. And I think it's important to continue educating yourselves. Another thing that I'm passionate about is where am I going to be spending my money? And we've been having these conversations. Before George Floyd, I would say about a couple years ago, I've been really adamant about spending my money with other women, specifically women of color. So whenever I want to either get my hair cut, I find a female. I, whenever I want to get a tattoo, I find a female tattoo artist. Whenever I want to do these things because I know that I want to support their business and their growth. Same thing at this moment. We get to support black businesses. We get to think about where we're spending our money. We get to think about who are the corporations that are giving Trump hella money right now? And is are those the people that you want to continue supporting? That's also important. We've seen, we know, I think we forget oftentimes, but ultimately know that consumer power is incredible. We saw Starbucks say that they weren't going to allow people to have Black Lives Matter clothing and then take it back pretty quickly when they saw the amount of backlash and that boycott Starbucks started trending. So we know that we have power in this and being able to find 
communities and businesses to support is going to be big. And this stuff isn't easy. I think it was Rachel Rogers, I'm pretty sure. She's a coach, and I started to follow her very recently. She talked about being anti-racist isn't convenient, something along that rhetoric. Like, if it's convenient, you're not doing it right. So, yes, you're going to have to do a little bit more research to not have to go down the street and go to Walmart and buy something. You're going to have to do a little bit more research to find the businesses you want to support. But that's another way to practice allyship. So I think in terms of, like, tying it up, continuing to educate yourself, having the conversations, think about deliberately where are you spending your money and be a stand. Don't let things slide when someone says something in front of you because they have one black friend or because you're a non-black person and they think that they can get away with it. Those are things that we now get to check continuously moving forward. I love that. And you brought up so many amazing, tangible ways for people to be an ally, whether it's through donating to a cause that is either on the national stage, international stage, or at the local level, whether it's by tracking where your dollar is going and it's supporting a black business that supports something that you're passionate about or that meets one of your needs through educating yourself and understanding that this is much, much, much bigger than just police brutality or just legislative issues. Like, it's huge. And a resource that I found uh, two weeks ago has been helping me out a lot is whenwestandtogether.com. And I'll link that to the show notes. But that's whenwestandtogether.com. Amazing resource in anti-racism. So I absolutely love that. And this is just, it's so important. Another thing that Ali and I talk about is, you know, another reason why this is passionate, why she's passionate about this is that she has to worry about me and, and what can potentially happen to me just because of the color of my skin. And it's, it might sound crazy for those of you that know me because, oh yeah, like how would I get into anything like this? You know, because, you know, you know who I am, you know what I stand for, you know what my core beliefs are, my values. However, if I'm just walking down the street, no one knows what those things are. You would have to know me. And I think one of the most powerful, powerful parts of my life is that I'm able to be really just a person that's been exposed to so many different cultures and to so many different types of people. So now I understand why people reach out to me. And that's not to say that, you know, I still get to protect my boundaries and understand how many conversations I'm gonna have. But I talk to my, my boys about this all the time, how important it is to have relationships with people who don't look like you. Because if, if I make up that, if I just see something happened to a certain group that I've never associated with, that I've never seen before, that I've never had any type of interaction with, it's going to be a much different way how I feel about them or how I, how I feel about their plight versus if it's somebody that I directly know. And I've had conversations with friends where I point out like, if it was, what if it wasn't George Floyd and it was me? And then you just you just see it in their face, like their whole body just shifts because they start to get it now. Like, oh, okay, like it's a little bit different. And that's the thing that when I think about one of my main values is community. 
and it's being connected. And I think that even with social media and all these different things, like a lot of us are so disconnected to what's really going on out there and who's really involved, involved out there and all the different types of people, plights, situations that are going on that because of that, people feel like they can't access compassion Mm. and compassion and empathy are crucial in this movement, in my opinion. To be able to look at somebody and be like, wow, I see what you're going through and I have no idea what it feels like to go through that thing, but I can see it's fucked up Mm -hmm. and I'm committed to standing for you i'm committed to creating a change i'm created to i'm create i'm committed to speaking up and that's something that's going to be really important going forward is having these conversations yeah i think you bring up a great point about why i get so fired up about it now and this is something that has you know Trayvon Martin was in 2013 I was in college at that time and the University of Maryland held their own version of a protest inside one of their buildings and I remember being there and I I at that moment it was that was I would say my first protest I want to say that I voluntarily went my mom's taken me to protest uh, when we were younger we had a wave of protests that were provided that were really surrounded around immigration laws so I went to those but I was small I don't remember them too clearly and so now thinking about this position that I am now and other people in my life other black men other black women in my life that I love and care for for me it isn't a challenge to think it could be them and and it could it's not crazy to think about it you know to think about Trayvon Martin to think about Tamir Rice I mean that breaks my heart a 12 year old a 12 year old those are things that how could it not be you you know as we see more and more people and EMT nurse Brianna Taylor how could it not be you you know and so those are the places where I get again frustrated because I don't it's hard for me to understand someone else and then that's where I check myself because I'm like okay I also get to practice compassion when someone isn't understanding my point of view because I get if I don't do that then why would I expect them to do that Mm. but it does get challenging because I feel so connected to this and passionate about this and when other people don't see it especially when I know they have people in their lives that are black and could be a victim of police brutality, I it really gets to a point where it's frustrating for me. And I think this is why I really do get into this on a daily basis because as a non-black person, I get to continue practicing allyship. And if I feel this way, I've said this to you, if I feel this way, then how the heck do my black brothers and sisters feel like? That's literally a feeling I can't imagine. If I have wanted to cry and have cried, quite frankly, have cried at night, how are they feeling? And that's what fuels me because I know that I get to do this work and I get to enroll other people in conversations. You know, we went home last weekend and I had conversations with my brother. You had conversations with my brother. I had conversations with my mom and with my aunt about these kinds of things. And thankfully they had an open ear, but 
you know, there's going to be times where I get to have those conversations with people who don't quite see it that way. And as long as they're open to conversation, continuing that conversation. And I think that's why, too, like when I think about these movements, I've said this to you, black women carry the civil rights movement and black women are carrying Black Lives Matter. And it's so and the way I see it, from my opinion, is because women, we nurture, we care, we birth. These are literally our sons, our brothers. Black women are going to always carry this because it is their men. It's their husbands, their fathers, their sons. It's themselves that are getting killed. And so that's why I always want to kind of put that out there. I'm always here as a way because, as you know, specifically, I'm very passionate about women, women of color, black and brown women. And how can I be the best kind of friend? How can I practice self-care together because that's a huge thing that we're all talking about right now is how do we continue practicing self-care when there are just days where we don't want to move no one wants to move because Mm -hmm. it feels almost paralyzing to think that we're in a world like this right now Uh, so yeah I think those those are the kind of things that come up for me yeah that was beautifully put and something that comes up for me upon hearing that is understanding how this process is going to be messy. Like there's not going to be one perfect thing to say, one perfect way to show up. One thing that's going to happen where every single person looks at it and they're happy with it and they agree with it. However, another thing I'll say is that by understanding that this is going to be a messy process, always tap into what your intention is when you're, having a conversation or when you're spending your dollar a certain way or when you're donating money or when you're educating yourself what is the intention behind it because if you know that your intentions are pure and that your intention is coming from a a great place in your heart that's going to allow you to do this work even when it is messy and I think, you know, something I make up is that people are so caught up with looking good and being perfect and tiptoeing around things. Like even when we talk about this looking good conversation, that's why I think a lot of companies put out statements for the simple fact Mm -hmm. that they don't want to look bad by not saying anything. Mm -hmm. Right. But but I don't want to go too off topic with that. We'll save that for a whole nother, (laughs) a whole nother. Lots of feelings on that. I, I know you do, babe. I know you do. And yeah, I I think going forward, it's just going to be really important that we continue to do the work in a way that is intentional and in in integrity with ourselves, because that's what's going to make it sustainable. And going forward, as we're all working to create this change, I really implore you to take care of yourself. Make sure that you are practicing self-care. Make sure you're getting your sleep in, that you're eating the best way that you can, that you are adhering to your stillness practice because we're going to need you to have a full battery and to be at full power in order to create the systemic change that we're looking to create. Yeah, and with that, I want to tie that back into you mentioned community and the importance of community. I come from a Colombian household where community is essential. There aren't that many Colombians where we live specifically, and yet my mother still found the few that exist. 
and that is a community and found other people El Salvadorians are very very common in Maryland and also a few Peruvians and built a community and that's so incredibly important even when talking about self-care self-care doesn't have to be this lonesome thing if that's how it works effective for you then perfect it can also be something just like exercising if you need your homegirl to come with you to get to the gym great at the same time self-care do you need to connect with someone to be able to have a day where you guys whether it's get your nails done whether it's lay at home and just talk all day whether it's have a glass of wine whatever that looks like for you going for a hike going to the beach whatever it is having other people there as well who can support you who can be there for you is also going to be essential i was listening to a panelist it was black feminism and they talk about how that community is so important because sometimes especially women we can care for others way more than we ever care for ourselves Mm. and so when you have other sisters along with you they can care for you in a way that you might have a blind spot and not want to care for yourself and you can do the same for that sister you can care for her in a way that she may not be able to see for herself and that goes for brothers as well i'm just taking this example so i think that's important is finding a community where they get it they're with you and y'all can laugh, y'all can cry, y'all can be in silence, y'all can pray, whatever it is together. Absolutely. And I think the key word in all of that that you just said is together. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this alone. You don't need to do any of this alone. If you're feeling some type of way, reach out to somebody close to you that can hold that space for you. If you're confused about something, reach out to somebody who you think may be knowledgeable or know someone who is knowledgeable about the subject. But at the end of the day, we all get to get better together. And that's how we're gonna pull ourselves out of this, is by coming together as a community, pulling ourselves up together, lifting each other up as we climb. And let's make this world a better place because I know that's what we all want deep down inside. Well, babe, great job on your first uh, podcast ever. I really enjoy. <laughs> I really enjoyed sharing this space with you, and I know you were nervous coming in. Yeah. Yet you sounded amazing, and you crushed it. Thank you. I'm really glad I did this. It was, as you said, just a conversation. You were right. Yes. Yes. And caught it on on the podcast. You were right. <laughs> and I'm just gonna end the show there. Love you all. Have a great day. Peace.